Hi there, welcome to Glenlyden Baptist Church's podcast network. We're glad you can join us today. If you'd like more information on the church, please visit us on our website, www.gebc.org.nz. We hope you enjoy the pod. Good morning, Glenlyden. <laughs> Good morning. How are you all doing? Daylight saving, wasn't it? Isn't it fun? How about you? I had two and a half hours sleep. Um, and normally I sleep, I hit the pillow, I'm gone. Daylight saving just completely messes with me. And there was a party going on, a couple of houses up, and they were playing great music, and so I was singing in my brain all these great songs, and it just was just messing with me, eh? So, um, but lucky I'm a morning person, so I'm all go right now. Um, ask me how I am at 3 o'clock, I won't talk to you. Hey, um, look, let's just recap on, on where we've been. We're in the series in Joshua, and, um, and let's just recap the story of Joshua and the nation of Israel. Look, if you, if you haven't been up to date with the messages, you can go to our website or our podcast. You can catch the messages in those spaces. But let me just take you on a brief journey to get you up to speed. So um, in Joshua chapter 1, we found the Israelites, didn't we? They were camped at the Jordan River. Everything that they had known for 40 years was in that space. They had been wandering in the desert. That's all they knew. God had been with them. God had been kind of shaping them as his people. And now they're at the Jordan River, about to cross into the promised land, the place of the unknown. And God gave some instruction to Joshua if Israel was going to succeed in their campaign of taking the promised land. And God said to Joshua, he said, you've got to keep your eyes on God. You've got to be in the word of God and not move from it from the left to the right. You must obey his commands. Joshua had to be a leader who was immersed in the presence of God if they were going to succeed as a nation. And then we see the first miracle in the book of Joshua, don't we? They come to the Jordan River, a river at that time of year that's overflowing. And yet, as the Ark of the Covenant goes before the people of the Israelite, the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant holds the presence of God, the waters part, and Israel can cross into the promised land. This is the first great miracle. So great is this miracle that the, the Israelites build a, a memorial by piling up some stones in the river so that generation after generation after generation might remember and hear the story of God's miracle and how he has gone before his people to carve away before them. And then in Joshua chapter 6, we found the Israelites are now at the city of Jericho. Walls so thick that they cannot be pushed over by human hands. And yet God gives an outrageous instruction to them. March around the walls for six days, and on the seventh day, blow your trumpets and yell at the walls. It's ludicrous, but they obey the word of God. Every command, they don't even talk back on God on that. They just obey everything he's told them to do. And so they march around the walls for six days. On the seventh day, they blow the trumpet, yell at the walls, and the walls fall down. Again, God has gone before them to fight the battle. A miracle has happened. But before they go into Jericho, they were given some instruction in Joshua chapter 6. But keep away from the devoted things, so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel 
liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. It's kind of like this is a tithe from the battle. This is an offering to God for his greatness, for the miracles that he is performing, for how he is fighting the battles before them. And now we come to Joshua chapter 7. And the Israelites have come to a small town of Ai. And they suffered defeat. 36 of their soldiers are dead. You know, God paved the way for Israel to have every avenue of success that they could have. But it didn't promise that they wouldn't have defeat. Our choices can lead us to victory or failure. Our choice to obey the word of God and God's commands can lead us to success. Our choice to disobey or disregard the word of God can lead us to failure. You know, too often, I don't know about you, but too often I choose my own way. And in choosing my own way, I find myself at times in sin. But let me comfort you with this. A failing in life does not make life or you a failure. When we experience failure, it does not have to be a lasting defeat. God had warned Israel what the outcome would be if they had disobeyed. There's a consequence for disobedience. Oh, come on, go. Can you please, thank you, Emma. There's a consequence for disobedience. In verse 11, Israel has sinned, says God. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. And they have put them with their own possessions. You see, before they attacked Jericho, Joshua had reminded the Israelites that they needed not to take the devoted things. But one man, one man in Joshua chapter 7 called Achan, took a portion of the treasure from Jericho, violating God's command. God was perfectly clear. Joshua was perfectly clear, but somehow Achan rationalized his sin. Things never change, do they? <laughs> Things never change. Isn't that what we do? We, we rationalize the wrong we're about to do to make it seem as if it isn't such a bad deal. There's plenty of pens in this workplace. It was just a couple of dollars, you know. They've got plenty of money and I needed the money. You know, I, they're horrible people. They needed to be told. So I told them. <laughs> you know, as a result of Achan rationalizing his sin, God removes his hand of blessing from Israel. God doesn't honor our disobedience. There are consequences when we step out of God's will. 
Maybe you'll identify with a, with a heaviness on your life. Uh, maybe you identify with the idea that God feels distant. I just can't feel him right now. Or I'm praying, but he doesn't answer my prayers. You know, for Israel, the cause of their sin was clear. The Lord said to Joshua, because, you know, when Joshua, when, when he hears that defeat has happened, so what's happened here in the story is, is a few men went to Ai and they scoped it out and they came back to Joshua and said, hey, look, you know, it's a small town. There's hardly anybody there. We don't need to send the whole army. 3,000 of the troops go up and that's when they get defeated. And chased back. 36 die. Joshua throws himself to the ground. Prostrates himself before the Lord. The leaders prostrate themselves and throw dust over their head. And Joshua is on the ground. And he is praying out to God. And he says this. He says. Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? And in response to that prayer, the Lord says to Joshua, stand up. Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. Israel has sinned. What was the cause of their failure? How did they get to this point? Two things. Number one, if you can move. Thank you, Emma. Now go back, Emma. I can't even read that from here. Go back again. Go, go, go. Uh, consequence of that? No, 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 the other way, the other way, the other way, the other way. Confession. Okay, you need to come clean. Okay, no, back one. Thank you. All right. Sorry, my eyesight's not so good anymore. Two things. Number one, they became overconfident. They became overconfident. The attitude of overconfidence reduced the size of the army that went to Israel, went to Ai. You know, perhaps they thought in their mind, you know, since we did so well at Jericho, let's not worry about that small place called Ai. You know? And they, they, maybe for a moment they thought, well, in our own strength, we took Jericho. Or maybe they thought, because we're so good looking, we took Jericho. You know, or because we're so vast, we took Jericho. So we don't have to worry about that small place called Ai. That's going to be easy. What they failed to remember was that it was God who fought the battle. How often do we succumb to that kind of thinking? If we aren't careful, we can become overconfident, can't we? Overconfident in what we have. Overconfident in the things around us. Comfortable, confident. And we begin to forget that actually it's the Lord who fights our battles. Standing in our own strength without dependence on God or being in prayer leads to defeat. You see, their overconfidence led to disobedience. So they're overconfident, which led to disobedience. Notice the failure of one man that affected the entire nation. 
When we harbor sins in our hearts, I want you to know that it affects the people around us. There's a ripple effect that tears at the fabric of families and churches. If a father is harboring sin and walking in sin, even though he may not express it verbally, it will affect the family. If a mother is harboring sin and walking in sin, even though she doesn't express it verbally, it will affect the family. If a leader of the church is walking in sin, it will affect the atmosphere of the church. If we come to this place to gather and worship together and we are carrying sin in our lives and harboring it, it will affect how we are with one another. It will affect how you come to worship. It will affect your thinking. So what happens when we fall? What happens and what needs to be done? Here's the first thing. Are we going good here or not? I don't know. Let's click, click. This thing doesn't work. Oh, there we go. Come clean. We need to come clean. We do that by kneeling at the feet of Jesus. He's the one who paid our penalty. We confess our failures and our sins to him. And we seek the strength from Christ to go on. Now we do that by confession. And so listen to the confession of Achan. He says, Achan replied, It is true, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw the plunder, a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. He confesses. He saw it. He coveted it. He took it. And now he's trying to hide it. Friends, what are we trying to hide? What are we trying to hide from God and what are we trying to hide from one another? God calls for confession of our failure, our sin. He desires that we see it the same way that He does. It's disobedience. And so we need to confess. And then there's a correction that comes when we confess. There's a correction that comes. God said in the beginning that sin brings death. Sin brought the defeat of Israel. Sin will bring defeat in your life as well, unless you deal with it. Achan's sin brought tragic consequences to the nation of Israel and his family. But I want you to remember this. Before you start thinking, you know, if you read this story, you go, wow, this is a real harsh consequence on Achan's family. Before you start thinking that God is too harsh, remember that the same God who punished Achan sent his son Jesus to deal with the sin problem. And it came through the death of his son. You see, failure broke the heart of God. To the point that he sent his son as the solution. And so what we see in this story is that when sin was dealt with, then God turned from his fierce anger. Let me comfort you with some things here right now. 
Four things I want to comfort you with. Number one. Thanks, Emma. Number one. When we sin, God is advocating for us. When we sin, God is advocating for us. An advocate is someone who, who stands beside you and supports you. It says in 1 John 2, 1, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if any of you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. You see, it's precisely when we feel as though God has left us, actually that he's right there beside us. When we sin, we have Christ in the corner. He's the advocate. He's pleading to God the Father. God doesn't give up on us. That should comfort us. So when we sin, we have God advocating for us. Secondly, when we sin, we have God praying for us. The shame that accompanies sin sometimes makes it difficult for us to approach God in prayer. You remember Pastor Shannon last week talked about some of the things that stop the walls from coming down. One of those things is shame. You know, you can sit here and you can think, well, if, if I tell people what I've been doing in my life, then they're going to think that I'm just this. Or they're going to think that I'm that. Shame. It's as though sometimes, you know, um, it's like there's an iron cloud. (laughs) And you're praying, but your prayers just can't get through. You know that feeling? It's like there's an iron cloud. Take comfort in the fact that there is one who is holy, innocent, undefiled, set apart from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He lives to make intercession for you. See, above the iron clouds, above that impenetrable cloud, Jesus is standing interceding for each of our lives. Through Jesus, you can approach God in prayer, even after you failed. And since he lives to make intercession for you, even when you're silent, Jesus is speaking on your behalf. And likewise, the Holy Spirit is doing the same. Romans 8, 26 to 27, And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. God is on your side. Jesus and the Holy Spirit are fighting for each and every one of you. So when we sin, God is praying for us. When we sin, God disciplines us. This isn't going to be fun. At first it can sound frightening, but I want to remind you of this, that when God disciplines us, He does it because He loves us. If you're a parent in the room, isn't that why you discipline your children? Because you love them and you want them walking the right way, so you need to discipline to help them to do that. Proverbs 3, 11 to 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. That sense of heaviness sometimes that we carry when we're carrying sin or because we've fallen. Perhaps that's God's fatherly hand leading us back to a place of repentance. 
You see, David, the king of Israel, wrote of his experience when coming to confess sin. He said, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. And yet when David confessed, he could proclaim, You forgave, Lord, my iniquity and sin. There was a lightness that came. When God disciplines you, it's for your own good. So that you might share in his holiness and not be condemned by the world. Don't let the discipline of God lead you to despair. But let it be another indication of God's kindness over your life. When we sin, God disciplines us. And lastly, when we sin, God offers to feed us. Remember that story? It was a heartbreaking story in the Bible when Peter denied Jesus. Jesus had never turned his back on Peter, but, you know, in, in Jesus' greatest hour, Peter abandoned him. When a crowd confronted Peter about whether he knew Jesus, Peter began to invoke a curse upon himself. No, I, I don't know that man. I don't know that man. Peter remembered that Jesus had foretold that would happen, and he began to sob. While Jesus was dying, Peter hid. Maybe you've shared in those tears. Experienced the pain of betraying the God that you love. Who has never done you any wrong. You know, it's in those moments, isn't it, when we expect Jesus to say, just get away, I've had enough of you. Have you ever thought that? I've done this so often, the Lord is just going to say, I've had enough of you, just get away. But what did Jesus say to Peter and the rest of the disciples after he'd been resurrected? He comes to the beach, and what does he yell out? Come and have breakfast! <laughs> he says, come and have breakfast. See, after your sin, Jesus offers to feed you. When a church gathers to take communion, which we're going to do, Jesus is setting a table for you to come and to be nourished by him one more time. You know, where you can experience his love and forgiveness afresh and anew this morning. If you've been tempted to believe that God is done with you because of your failures, I encourage you this morning to consider your advocate, Jesus, who's praying for you and guiding you with his pierced hands. He's wanting to feed you this morning. Hear Jesus' invitation this morning. Come to breakfast. Come to breakfast, family. Come and eat. It's not bacon and eggs. It's his body and blood. Given to nourish each and every one of us. May they acknowledge that God is still on your side. That he's advocating for you now. Even when you feel weighed down by your sin, enable you to give thanks to him. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a time of confession. I'm not going to ask you to come up the front and confess your sins to everybody. We're not going to do that. I'm going to ask you to have a moment of quiet confession where you're sitting, to bow your head and let the Spirit of God take you to that place. Confess anything 
that you need to confess that the Spirit of God might reveal to you. And then when we've done that, we're going to come because Jesus says, now come and have breakfast with me. And we're going to come and feast. So let's just take a moment to pray. Father, I know everyone in this room, (laughs) and I know their hearts are good, and I know they love you, Lord. Thank you for taking the burden of our sins and casting them as far as the east is from the west. Thank you for the freedom we have now in Christ. So, Lord, I just I want to declare over Glen Eden this morning, over the people of God in this place and those online, that when you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you your sins. And so now you are set free. May God bless you abundantly in your faith. And in the hope that you have, may you be blessed. May you be blessed as you walk with Christ this week and in all you do. And so I invite you now to come and feast at the table. We've got big loaves of bread and I've got cups here. And we're gonna, I want you to get just not a little one. Grab a decent piece of bread. I'm going to give you a decent piece of juice. Hopefully there's enough here. And I want you to come and feast and remember the goodness of Christ this morning. Thanks again for joining with us today. If you'd like to know more information on the church or reach out to one of the pastors, please visit our website www.gebc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day.